Hey, this is Thor from Cybrary. If you've been enjoying the Cybrary podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cybrary.it. From all of us at Cybrary, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of 401 Access Tonight. I'm really excited about today's episode because we've got another exciting topic for you. And before I get into the details of the topic, um, I want to, first of all, you know, my name is Joseph Carson, and I'm the Chief Security Scientist and Advisory CISO at Psychotic Base in Tallinn, Estonia. And I'm joined with two fantastic esteemed guests for the show today. So first of all, I'm going to pass it over to Kevin. Um, Kevin, can you tell us about who you are and uh, a little bit about your background? Yeah, thanks, Joe. Um, well, so Kevin Haynes, uh, this is my second month here at Cyberary. I joined on as the CEO. Uh, super exciting, also super exhausted at this point. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I, I spent the last eight years at a company called SecureWorks, which is a, a large uh, MSSP here in the U.S. And the um, uh, last four or five years of that, I was a COO. Uh, so you know, lived a lot of the the pain points that Cyberary is is pointing at, and um, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for the, the intro. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Kevin. And yeah. uh, also, we're we're joined by John. So, John, can you give us a little bit about you know who you are and uh, uh, a bit about your background? Yeah, sure. Hello, <clears throat> everyone. My name is John Ramsey. I'm um, really grateful to be here today and have this conversation. I think it's an an important one. Um, up until February, I was the chief technology officer at SecureWorks, where Kevin and I met uh, for about 21 years, where um, was on, did um, my whole entire professional career has been in, in security one way or another. Um, while I was at SecureWorks, I also had a role as a senior Dell Technologies fellow, so I got to go and see, what, see the advances and innovations that Dell Technologies and the strategically aligned businesses were doing, which was a lot of fun. Uh, built out a pretty, a pretty interesting machine learning system in SecureWorks, actually a couple of them to solve a lot of the problems that we have in cyber. Uh, prior to that, I was at the computer emergency response team at Carnegie Mellon University, where I did computer network exploitation, computer network defense. Um, it, and while I was there, I studied software engineering, um, at CMU to try to understand why so many vulnerabilities exist. And then Prior to that, I was at Siemens Corporate Research. And so um, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Fantastic. So this is going to be an exciting discussion today. I mean, we've between the three of us, we have almost a, quite a wealth of knowledge and experience behind us. So, and, you know, I, what I've seen is, you know, you know, at your backgrounds, you know, we've come, you know, probably not directly introduced to each other, but we've followed the same paths in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so really excited kind of where we'll see where this conversation goes. So today's topic for the audience is a really exciting one because sometimes we segue into different areas, such as, you know, what we see, uh, the cybersecurity industry, it's no longer just about technology. It's no longer just specifically about security because it segues into so many businesses in different ways. And one of the biggest areas as well is we have a major skill shortage. We have a major area of basically we're shortage in people filling jobs and organizations are opening more positions and we actually have people that actually fulfill them. So it causes a major challenge. And we always look for ways of how can we automate a lot of things. And I've seen a lot of areas such as, you know, social uh, backgrounds, people with social science skills, 
coming into the industry to really help you know bridge that gap between the technology and the human side of things. And that's also seen a lot of people coming even from the psychology background to try and make sure that we're building things that actually people can use, that people can actually understand. Um, so cybersecurity is kind of opening up into to many different new industries. And today's topic is all about the area of data science. And this is going to be an area that, you know, and specifically data science in a security context, because we've seen where people coming in that we need to, you know, I've always been in the industry where we need to automate things. And to automate, we need data. We need good analytics. We need good algorithms. So this is where we really help understand about the direction and path we're going. So I'd like to kind of, you know, Kevin or John, which whichever one is, you wants to take this first, can you give the audience just a bit of an overview into, you know, what does data science, you know, the background, what's the state of where we are today? And also, what, how important is it for security industry? Yeah, John, you want to you kick that off? Yeah, sure. I, I think, you know, like Joe said, the security, the, dis, the disciplines that are coming into security are, are, are increasing and, and we need it. I think that's really, really helpful. And of course, data science is, you know, every other industry is being digitally transformed. Mm -hmm. We should be digitally transforming the way we approach cyber. And so I, I, for, first, maybe if we take a step back and think about what is data science is, as itself, because there's a lot of um, there's there's a lot of ambiguity around the term mm -hmm. of data scientist. So maybe if we can bring some clarity to that, um, then we can think about how how data sciences could help help us defend to be def good better defenders. And so data sciences is a broad term. It generally refers to the class of approaches you use to um, to making inferences or learning effectively from from data and can be broken down from from traditional big data with large searches as a form of data sciences to what's probably more uh more uh recent in terms of in terms of what we, evolution of that is it really the area of artificial intelligence and then underneath artificial intelligence is machine learning. And then underneath machine learning is, is deep learning. And so sometimes companies will say, we're, we're using data sciences, and they mean we're doing maybe statistical anomaly detection as a form of, of uh, data sciences, but that isn't necessarily machine learning. Underneath that, in the machine learning world, in the deep learning world, there's really the way to think about it, there's three components that consist of that. And if someone says they're doing AI, ML, or DL, the three you ask them what are the three components, and the three components are what what are your models look like? So this is a like some representation of the real world, some simplification of the real world, some kind of state based model, for example. What is the question that you're trying to infer with respect to the model, and how are you learning? What is the learning approach taken from the data? So if you have those three piece parts modeling, inference, and learning, effectively what you have is a form of artificial intelligence or machine learning. There's lots of different approaches here. Um, and quite frankly, there's a lot of math that exists underneath it. There's predicate calculus, there's linear algebra, there's probability theory. So the discipline that data sciences is bringing into the cyber realm is really specifically around those, those disciplines um, in terms of linear algebra, particle calculus, and probability theory. Okay. Yeah. And anything yeah. you want to add to that, Kevin? Yeah. Yeah. You know, from my perspective, um, you know, sitting in my chair, um, 
or my last year, uh, you know, it, it really boiled down to how do we how do we bring more automation? The word you mm-hmm. said um, at the end of the day, um, I don't. I'm 100 percent sure we could not have done you know our jobs okay. uh, without having some some you know support and assist from from the technologies, um, the data sciences technologies that you know John and our team built. We just there there just were not enough people mm-hmm. you know uh, with the with with the skills you know uh, to do that. So um, you know. Uh, we were talking on the order of billions of security events a day, um, sort of going through our systems. Um, and you know, uh, that, that's just, you just can't staff that. Right. So you got to find a way to do that. The other thing I'd, I'd just say, um, uh, with the new, uh, folks coming in, it, uh, it's always interesting, um, at what point they realize, um, and, you know, just talking to them as they kind of come into the company and, or, you know, get into the field, very excited to you know solve these big data problems and and help the world. Uh, at what point they realize that there's actually an adversary uh, on the <laughs> other end of the keyboard who's trying to undo everything that they're doing. Right. And, and you know, it's kind of interesting to see that light bulb come on, because I think in a lot of other fields, it, it, it not necessarily the case. Right. Not necessarily the, the case that um, there's someone actively working against them. Yeah. Uh, so that that's interesting to to see when that happens and they realize it. And it's always about you know it's always about staying ahead of the curve as well. You know you're always, you always have to try and keep ahead. You know in 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 the defenders versus attackers. That in the defender side we have to be successful 100 percent all the time. It only takes the attacker to be successful once. Um, they only need to find one key to get in the door. And so sometimes it's it's always a challenge. And I I always feel that you know the defenders don't get enough. Uh, kind of, let's say, reward um, or visibility or support about the job that sometimes goes unseen in the background. Um, yeah. You know, they, they're spending it. The only time you hear about the bad things is when, you know, an incident happens. But you don't hear about the 300 other days of the year where they've been actually working, you know, keeping the company safe. Um, so sometimes it's a bit of all this, you know, um, they're always working in the background, sometimes uh, doing amazing work um, hidden. And so a lot of times it goes unrewarded. Um, one of the things kind of, so just kind of on the point, um, of what John was mentioning. So for me, kind of, when I look at the industry and I do, I do research across the board, uh, into a lot of companies who are doing a lot of machine, uh, I think machine learning is advancing the quickest. Uh, for me, when I look at the artificial intelligence side, I'm still seeing that right now, what we're really doing, especially in the cybersecurity, when it comes to artificial, it's, it's advanced much more in other industries than it has in the cybersecurity, but in cybersecurity, I find it's much more still into advanced automation where we're, we're taking the data, we're doing a lot more automation, um, but getting into where the, you know, it's self-learning and self-healing and self-perpetuating and, you know, taking the new, um, let's say, threats that's been discovered and actually then creating defenses to defend against that. I think that's where we start seeing a little bit more trend towards a real artificial intelligence into the security realm, but I, I don't see that that we're quite there yet. Everything I look at is it seems to be more around the automation side. Um, can you tell me what, you know, maybe I've kind of different, you know, uh, visibility. Can you tell me what you've seen, you know, or what your kind of uh, interpretation of the artificial intelligence that we have in the security industry today? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you want to start? Yeah, yeah. I think I'll, I'll jump in on that. I think a couple of things about, about positioning artificial intelligence and machine learning in the cybersecurity space. Which is uh, number one, like I that it's countermeasure development when you learn about a threat. Well, let's let's step back. Mm-hmm. I, I think 
diversity is a key characteristic of survivability. And sure, the threat only has to be right once, but I don't really believe that's true. Sure, to get in, they have to be right once, but they have to be right again to get their data out. They have to be right again to, to you know, the whole kill chain, they have to be right along, the, along that process. And so where I think we, what we need to detect the threat is we need diversity. And that diversity includes things that have, have that, like signatures are not dead. They'll never be dead. When we have an indicator of a threat, we should use it. That we, and we should use it against the threat and we should use it everywhere. We know the question becomes, what do you do when you don't have an indicator of a threat? Well, then that's where you start applying sort of instead of these, these representational techniques mm-hmm. like the indicators and signatures and hashes and domain names, you, you start pr- applying more functional areas for, for detection. So just probability, probability um, as a means of anomaly detection. So we don't know if it's, mo- we don't, we haven't seen this before. It's probabilistically unique. Maybe then it could be malicious. You don't start with that, but you use that mm-hmm. to build context to now all of a sudden building out um, attack graphs to understand what where a threat might be and where they might go to drive sort of the defense process. If you use this diversity of representational and functional techniques to be able to detect threat, then now you have increased the amount of sophistication in that threat and the time um, almost exponentially because they they have to they have to be thinking about how do I defeat these multiple types of systems instead of one type of system. So that's, that's, that's number one. I also think, um, when it comes to AI and ML, there are the the approach I would take or what I step back when we come at the problems, the very first thing we need to do is scope the problem to be as specific as you possibly can. There's this term in the ML world that's called no free lunch. Like you're not going to say, here's the problem, here's the data, here's the algorithm, and you're going to get it. You're going to get results with high efficacy. So, so really thinking about the scope of the problem. And there are lots of problems that exist in the cyberspace that, that AI and ML can solve. Just for an example, detection of malicious activity, which we just talked about or dynamic dynamic threat actor discovery like let's use the techniques that are used in social networks to build social networks of threat actors based on shared attributes of ttps as an example or even threat actor attribution inference building threat actor sets today all those threats are sort of put together because an incident response team walks in and goes well this looks like a group this looks like a group we haven't seen before let's create a new group and, you know, the, the catalog of threat actor sets is, you know, in the hundreds. There are probably 10,000s of different threat, act, threat actor intrusion sets. Also, like, um, inferred relations among, among events themselves. Like, today, correlation is sort of done by rule-based. But what if we learn that these two events have properties that um, support, support the correlation of those events? And then threat intelligence overall I believe we're seeing an evolution of threat intelligence or the data that is represented via threat intelligence moving to more of what a data scientist would call a model, a representation of the world that is much more um, prescriptive. It's much more mathematically consistent. And so you can reason about it, which that's really important. And so 
model-based threat intelligence is how we how we need to represent what's happening from a threat perspective. So you th you roll all of that together, and and you can see that there are many use cases um, that exist for for machine learning and data sciences in the in the cyber domain. Or here here I love this one. Mm -hmm. Like there's this whole space called generative adversarial networks, and it's really two algorithms competing with one another. I generate a I generate an image, and I try and when I generate that image, I put it up against another algorithm to see if that algorithm can detect the image. Why don't we use something like generative adversarial networks to test our countermeasures and efficacy of those countermeasures and, and build a system that tries to beat the system? Like that, that, that space is also very interesting. So it's just, a, it's just a really exciting time in cyber when it comes to taking these kinds of approaches and being able to move the needle from a defensive perspective. Yeah. And Joe, you know, I, I think is uh, my perspective on this, which is, I, I would agree, you know, with how you positioned that um, uh, there's a lot more, I think, to mm -hmm. come in terms of uh, you know, things like self-healing and, you know, sort of taking the next uh, steps here. But I do feel like today, a lot of it is, um, it is automated, you know, it's creating, it's, it's all great, right? It, yeah. You know, it, it's creating automation, it's helping. Uh, at the end of the day, we're still putting a lot, um, uh, you know, we're still putting a lot on the shoulders of, of you know, men and women, you know, mm -hmm. in these um, roles to make pretty tough decisions um, about a lot of different things with a lot of different nuance uh, in a very short time, Absolutely. you know, and so, yeah, I, I, you know, hopefully, hopefully, you know, we continue to kind of make progress to take, uh, to take, make, make those jobs, you know, uh, a little easier. Absolutely. And that, that's kind of what my, you know, I've, I've been in the industry now, you know, getting close to 30 years. And every time I remember that, you know, I, I always ran out of time and you never had enough time in the day to do your job. I, I was a, a domain administrator for 100,000 servers. So what did I do? I automated. If I had to do something yeah. two, three times, what I did was I created a script. I, you know, got something in a batch job. I did a scheduled task. I you know, put something in a Perl script. Um, so I looked at ways in order to to scale, and that's what we've done over the years. In order, to, you know, we've seen organizations where you know you maybe had one or two people managing hundred machines, you know, hundred employees, and you had two people doing that. Today, we've got basically you know organizations who have two people managing twenty thousand, yeah. and a lot of that as well is also balance. And so you know, they can't do everything themselves, and they can't be experts of everything. So what they've done as as well, you know, they've outsourced where they possibly can in order to continue managing that. They went to service providers. Um, so I think, you know, for, for many organizations, I don't think uh, a lot of SMBs or even medium-sized companies who get to uh, that type of threat intelligence. So I think a lot of that will most likely come from service providers and platforms. So they will have to plug into that. So I think, you know, uh, definitely that's the direction. Uh, but automation, I think, is the key part here because we we have that that shortage. In order to, to close that gap, automation and using data analytics. I remember, you know, working in the early 2000s about even detecting things like memory failures and hard disk running out, that yeah. what we would do is we'd take the last six months or last year of data, and you'll see basically memory increasing. And what we could end up doing is try to reverse that data and put it into the future. And that was great because that's when, you know, SQL reporting and analytical service started being able to do a lot more things for you to, in order, not just but looking in the past, but also getting in predictability. And we were able to then say, you know, roughly in November, this hard disk is going to run out of space. We need to do something before it runs out because 
worst case, you know, adding space before it runs out will stop you getting data corruption. Yeah, um, yeah. If you wait till the, the disk runs out, you're going to end up with corruption. So that's kind of where a lot of those trends. And that's for me when I really kind of got even just into the you know little you know the just getting paddling in in the little streams of data science. Um, I've never delved right into it, but I work a lot in the industry with uh, people who's coming and they're doing some amazing things. I watched here in Estonia where there was a data analytics that was done um, in, for example, just to give you an example, use case is that a traffic lights. So what happened was uh, there was a specific traffic lights where there was a lot of accidents happening. Just a lot of accidents were happening at this specific uh, location. So what they started doing was they started doing some trial runs and they got basically uh, some uh, glasses uh, that detected eye movements. They wanted to see where people's eyes were when they were going through that intersection. Mm -hmm. And ultimately what they did was after doing a, a lot of trials, day, night, and so forth, um, the data that came back from basically the glasses, and they took that data, they analyzed it, they put it into the surrounding view. And ultimately, what happened was that people's eyes were going automatically to an advertisement board. And it was the advertisement board, and ultimately, the root cause was the light was too bright. Hmm. They dimmed it down. They turned down the light on the advertisement board because they were able to take all of that eye movement, all of that data, and understand about what was causing the issue. When they actually turned the light down and dimmed and dimmed it down, and it was also kind of different times of day, because in Estonia we have uh, some. You know, in summer, the light is very bright, low, and when you know dark, it's you know uh, winter is very dark uh, a lot of times a day. Um, so they adjusted it, and afterwards, the number of accidents at that intersection reduced down. And I think that's where, when I look at those types of areas where they're using data in order to look at how to understand about its correlation and context. I see that this is where we really need to be bringing it in. And a lot of things that you know, John mentioned around um, threat intelligence, I think threat intelligence is a great word, you know, uh, area where if I know somebody else has been hit first and that they're able to share that information with the community beforehand, we can raise our defenses. We can raise that, you know, security needs to be, I will say it's like, almost like a living organism. It should not be static. And that's the problem we have is today security is very static. It's, it's rule-based, it's signature-based, it's policy-based. And what happens is it's not very dynamic to the threat that changes in the world. All of a sudden, when we get a new variant of ransomware or a new variant of malware that's out there, you know, we have, all the vendors have to re-update their signatures. They have to scan it. They, they also have to know it exists. Um, yeah. And therefore, that's where we start. You know, we have that very static uh, process. And for me, getting, in, getting data into our industry, getting data to get really start to evolve will allow security to really start becoming a living organism where it can be very dynamic and adaptive and grow. And when the threats are out there are high, all of a sudden when we start seeing, you know, uh, the number of companies that becomes victims of some type of variant, we can turn our, our defenses, we can hit that, you know, uh, you know, threat level up. All of a sudden that, that means we can, for example, go from uh, where it's, you know, maybe certain privileges to least privilege or to zero trust. Um, all of those things can start to be, you know, enhancing the security controls. Um, so that's where I'm really excited about when I, when I get into data. Um, and, and looking at how we can evolve the industry, you know, primarily in, in the current is automation, but in the future, getting security where it's adaptive, and you know, basically where it can change based on the threats out there, and your your you know threat controls can go up and down um, depending on what's happening. I think that's where really where we can leverage the data. You know, also looking ahead as well, looking potentially when I talked about the hard disk and the memory failures, if we can take that historical data and start putting it ahead. 
also but give us indications about you know the evolutions and the ways that threats will come. So it's just interesting, John, if you have any thoughts around that or, or any comments in, in that area. Yeah, uh, I have a, I have a lot of <laughs> a lot of thoughts. Um, let me, let me start with like a good strategy is. Um, especially when there's such a skill shortage is have people only do things people need to do. In other words, if a machine can do it, have a machine do it. Absolutely. So maybe if you take that strategy and apply it to the machine learning world, you could have a system that's looking at the events coming in and that system might rate them with say a, a probability of the event being malicious with some confidence mm -hmm. score. You think of it as tri-state logic, true, yeah. it's malicious, false, it's not malicious, or I don't know. The other, the other state, and so if you have a system that does that, you know you're going to want you're going to want to get the system to be able to rate as many things as it can. You want the system to have ultimate confidence in in what it's mm -hmm. what it's saying about the event. So in that case, if you know it's a hundred percent, if the system says I'm a hundred percent confident that it's malicious, then you don't need a human to look at it. If the system says I'm 0% confident that it's malicious, then you need the human to look mm -hmm. at it. And then once the human looks at that, the expert looks at that and they label it with something that yeah. goes into the training set. And then that training set informs the next time something similar comes in. And, and then, you know, the confidence begins to increase as, as humans begin mm -hmm. to label, label it. Yeah. And that's really, really important. The ability to capture what, what someone says so that a system can learn on it. So, but there so, is also. I have a question before you move on to the next piece. Sure. Just on, on that topic, um, is that you know, I, I completely agree with that. Absolutely. If something comes back and it tells me that you know there's a flag here, um, right now in my my mind and kind of tells me that having a human look in it, it comes down to I think when I decide to automate the action or not, it really depends on what that action is. For example, you know if it's safety related. You have to be very, very hundred percent, you know, certain. You know, you know, doors open. You know, was it, uh, uh, let's say, machines reboot, uh, rollback uh, to previous snapshots or previous versions, depending on what that action is. What, do you think all actions should be automatically? You know, if it's so, so yeah. yeah, it's a good question, and I think I think there's an important nuance here. Um, and the, and the nuance is there's a difference between automation and autonomy. Yes. Autonomy is the system making the decision by itself to do something that something might be done automatically. And so, for example, you might this one of the one of the things you might want to do is isolate a machine as a as an action. And you can automate the process of isolating the machine. You hit a button and the system goes and and blocks the IP address at, at, at the entry point, wherever that may be. That's automation. Autonomy is the system without human <laughs> input deciding to automate the machine. And we're not in the cyberspace. We're not anywhere near automation. Yeah. We're near autonomy. autonomy. Yet. And, yes. and, and you can see that because you could see organizations that have implemented source systems and the the source system is really more about auto, auto, automation, not autonomy. So, for example, it goes out and collects all the contextual data you, you need from an IP address or um, an executable or domain name, what happens. But you don't see those systems actually going out in most organizations deciding on their own mm -hmm. autonomously to block that hash. 
And the reason is, is because whenever you take an action in a system, that very action itself represents a risk. And you don't know if you're decreasing the risk or increasing the risk. So this is also a place that data sciences, machine learning can really help. And they're called, the space is called multi-objective optimizers. Mm -hmm. So for autonomy, if you think about autonomous vehicles, there are multiple objectives. Like the first objective is keep the passenger and the driver alive. The second objective is keep anyone else outside the car alive. The third objective is maybe get to the destination as fuel efficient as possible. And the fourth objective could be get to the destination uh, as with uh, as pleasurable as possible in terms of the route. Take a route that's more scenic as an example. So here are all these objectives. How do you make a decision in the moment given that set of objectives? That's the autonomy of it. So in our world, we might say, don't take the system down. Keep, keep the system up and running. Don't let the threat take the system down and make a response that is very contained to that mm-hmm. system um, and, and give the system those objectives. The cost of the response should be minimal, as an example, and list all those objectives out and then have the system tell you or have the system execute the, that, that, particular, that particular action. And I think we need that. And that's to your point around adaptation. That's real. Like you're not adaptation. You have to change something to adapt. The problem with doing autonomous adaptation is, is we don't know if we're introducing more risk than we're preventing. And so being able to model that risk, Mm -hmm. calculate that risk is where data scientists can really help. Absolutely. No, that's a, that's a great point. And it reminds me, I, I did in the past, I actually worked in the maritime industry. So I actually was working in a lot of the first autonomous shipping. So um, so that's where a lot of my experience comes into that data analytics and looking at bike safety systems and, you know, having, uh, was it multiple systems to make sure that you, you had as minimal risk as possible. I just want to bring Kevin back in. One of the things that I'd like to get from Kevin and specifically, you know, Ryan, what, even what Cyberg does, you know, in the platform from learning and education and, uh, you know, just interested about, you know, data science skills and the skill sets and how, how are we training them? And how we bring them into the industry, um, and where are they coming from? Um, so, just kind of get an understanding about you know science. What's what skills do yeah. they need? How do we yeah. get more into the industry so we can automate and do the things myself and John's talking about? How do we get there? Um, yeah. Can you tell me a bit about what what's needed? Well, and- sure. sure, and and I'll circle back to, to to your main point, but just a sort of a, a tangential point I think is important, which is. Um, if, if, you know, uh, you know, if I were to go back in time and say, Hey, you know, what, what is, uh, what is the, the roles, um, in a, in a security program look like, um, and, and if you were to write them down mm-hmm. and kind of put the, you know, the numbers of people you had, it would, my guess is it probably end up looking like a pyramid. So, you, you know, you had a lot of level one sort of people in your program, you had, you know, uh, you know, less, but still, still, you know, a, a good number of level twos, less, you know, level threes, et cetera. Uh, up the stack to kind of you know your pyramid, um, and one of the things that I, I think kind of interesting is um, as as we're getting more data science, more machine learning, mm-hmm. which is then uh, to your point, sort of leading to more automation, um, you know, better better capabilities to sort you know sort out uh, signal and noise. Um, I think what's happening is an interesting phenomenon, which is um, there's less. I think you know the pressure point um, you know eight years ago or whatever when I you know, started SecureWorks. 
you know, is all about the, getting, you know, level one analysts, getting a level one analyst, you know, never had enough of them, you know, could never find enough. Uh, um, and then how do you keep them sort of, you know, retained and interested in that job? Now, now it's, um, I think, you know, a lot of the technology that automation that you talk about is doing that level one yes. type. Um, uh, and so, so now the question is like, hey, I need a lot more level twos, you know, like the work <laughs> that's actually ending up, you know, with the person with the keyboard is more like level two work. And mm -hmm. so it's like, well, where do I get those if I don't have level ones? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, that, that used to be the way we did it, right? We, we would Transition. get level ones and yep. yeah, they would, they would learn and they would, you know, mm -hmm. kind of grow there and then kind of move into the next step. But, but I, it's an interesting kind of thing about, okay, well, how do we create all these level twos when we're not really sort of creating level one? So that's one of the things Cyber is thinking about a lot, which is, you know, not only how do we get people into the, you know, many, mm -hmm. many, um, you know, hopefully millions more people into the space to help. But how do we get them with the right skills to not only get the job, but to do the job well and to progress up to reach their full potential? That's kind of one point. The other, the other you're, you're thinking about, which is, I, I think a lot about this. Um, I don't know if we have the answer yet, but I'm thinking a lot about it with the team, which is, um, you know, some point, uh, how, how, do, how, does, how do the, you know, the people in the security program actually interpret this stuff? Like, how do they know how the machine works? Because I, I've been on a lot of calls with customers, you know, um, uh, over the years where, you know, they have some pretty basic questions about, okay, well, why did, why did you do this or not do that? <laughs> and, and when you hear an analyst try to explain, you know, how the system works, um, you know, you, you realize that, wow, there's, there's a lot of complexity in, in kind of, okay, yes. why did something happen or not happen, you know, in, in, the, in, in that whole kind of chain of things. So I think that there's, there's, there's probably a, a, a first step, which is how do we teach the you know, people about how the machine works? Um, the whole idea of sort of like how, it, you know, how, how things go through the, is it suspicious? Is it malicious? Maybe, you know, yes or no. And, and, uh, the whole, the whole way that training sets get built and that kind of thing. Um, so that they really understand and can kind of think about how the system works, because, um, I think that critical thinking process is really important. So I, I'd start mm -hmm. there with, you know, and then the second, I think, step to that is as, as uh, you know, uh, people kind of advance in their, in their careers through the security journey, I think then, you know, how do they start to contribute, right, mm -hmm. back into the machine, right? So in the beginning part, they're working in the machine, you know, I think as their advance, their careers advance, it's working on the machine. Right. And so how do they start to take what they know and actually mm -hmm. build that back into the system to make mm -hmm. us all smarter and better? Um, so that's those are definitely things we're thinking about how, how to you know, enable sort of, you know, more tier twos mm -hmm. without, yeah. you know, without the benefit of having this giant you know, pool of tier ones. And then how do we help people understand how the machine works and then be begin to contribute to it? Absolutely. And I, I, I get, I, one of the, my concerns is the same as well, is that when I look at, you know, how we moved across, how we even in our industries can progress in our careers. We started off, you know, on those front lines. We started off, you know, on the front lines of either it was uh, developers. We started off the front lines of support. We started the front line um, of, uh, you know, uh, sales and marketing, whatever area we came in the industry. And we progressed through those ranks. But when the first front ranks, you know, are being replaced with bots and automations and help desks that are automated, then how do we get, how do we replace that missing? I think that might be actually, to your point, is fueling our gap, is yeah. this entry point positions are becoming less and less available uh, where we maybe should have thought about more about automating the the, the more complicated side of things first and still yeah. have that flux of people coming in um and i think one of the things you know when i think about even our current you know environment with basically you know the way that the pandemic has also made a lot of people working my my traditional way of learning would have been in conferences and networking and meeting people and doing workshops um, where platforms online like Cybreeze has now become so critical to people's continuous learning because 
we no longer have those conferences and events and workshops that were happening anymore. So we still had the fuel, um, that education and knowledge, not just for the new people coming in, but also the existing people to continually getting that skill sets and knowledge. So I think those are also critically important. One of the things yeah. I'd like to move on to, to John as well, another question I've got, um, and then we kind of you know, start you know, getting into summary and closing up shortly, is that um, you know, what about getting buy-in from the, the executive board of management into these areas? Because I think for me, that's always been the challenge is how do you get to them invest in this? Uh, because you know, people and executives and organizations that their business is not technology, let's say their business is you know, manufacturing or transportation or in communications or whatever it might be, uh, or even you know, in healthcare, um, how do we get them to buy into you know, doing the right things when it comes to, let's say even you know, security and, and, and especially in data science as well? How do we make sure that they invest in this area um, because that's one of the things. How do you convince the board to get buy-in, and who needs to be involved? Yeah. So, um, just to be clear on the question, invest. How do you convince a board to invest in security overall, or using data sciences for security, or both? I, I think both. I think you know, one one is, is getting them involved into using data science for security. Um, uh, you know, they might some businesses might be using it for other areas. They might already have a data science part of the business. How do we get them to also include that also in the security portfolio and security part of the business? Yeah, I I think if you have a if you have a capability in your organization and another part of the business that's using data sciences already, I would leverage that as much as I possibly could. Um, you know, there there was a period of time when data scientists, also known as super quants, were really <laughs> highly focused in the financial vertical, yeah. and I think that that probably has gotten a little bit boring, and now you know, being able to solve a problem where there is like an active adversary on the other side of the table using using data sciences is an in, interesting pull into uh, in, into the um, to, into, into the in cyber cyber domain. Um, I, I think the conversation with the board is and for me, I've always structured it around risk reduced per dollar mm-hmm. spent. Yes. And when I look at the board and I say, look, we're not going to be able to have zero risk. It's asymptotic. We, can, we might be able to approach it, but but you know the cost the cost is exponential. You can reduce half the risk with twice the amount of dollars. So when you go to the board and you kind of look at the problems, you know, you highlight the problem that could reduce the greatest amount of risk with dollar spent mm-hmm. with dollar spent. And if there's an opportunity to do that with data sciences. Then, then I think that's that's how you position it. If we take a look at, you know, the modernization of this approach, we we build out a, a tech stack that isn't just sort of query based, but it could be graph based and event based and stream based. And in the you don't use those words to the board, of course. But if we update our stack, we think we can, you know, reduce the risk twice proportional to to the amount of cost and. And so, like that's generally how I would position any kind of any kind of project from a security from a security perspective. Absolutely, it reminds me. I, I did a penetration test uh, quite a few years ago now on a PAR station, and when I uh, went with the CISA and we went to the to the board to do our presenter findings, um, we presented fear. We prevent you know presented the traditional you know feedback of security um, into the executive board, and it didn't work. Um, the CEO was a smart person. The CFO was smart. They came back and said, 
you know, you scared us. That was a really scary presentation, but we need to see the investment. We need to see the return on investment. We didn't need to see the benefits to our employees. And it was always a thing, you know, when I, when I sit down and they, they said they need to see tangible return on investment, they need to see something of impact. And to your point, one of the things that the, I always remember what the CFO said to me, I need to know what is the cost of doing nothing versus the cost of doing something? What, what is that? What's that gap? Is that gap 10%? Is that gap 90%? Um, and that ultimately indicated they're willing to invest a certain proportion to reduce the risk. And sometimes they might have decided, you know, decided we'll go and do cyber insurance. We'll go and do a cyber captive or we'll just do better, you know, awareness training or we'll invest in technology or we'll do a combination of multiple things. And that typically depends, you know, that really indicated their, their uh, decision-making. And that really realized to me and to your point is that we need to be understanding our, my job is to reduce risk and is to listen to the business, understand what their goals are, understand what their, their, the, the risks are. And then find ways in order to use my skills and knowledge to reduce risk. And that's ultimately how I see my position is I'm a, I'm a risk reducer. <laughs> that's ultimately where, where I you know spend my time. So um, it's just kind of getting into some of the things, you know, are you optimistic that we're making the right, you know, are we advancing, you know, in the right direction quickly enough? Is there things that we can do in order to, to do better at this or, you know, is there... Uh, ways that we can accelerate or, you know, also show success. I think one of the things we don't do enough is, is showing where it's been successful as well. Um, sometimes people don't like to do that because sometimes it points to target <laughs> on the organizations when they do that. Uh, so I'm just interested both, you know, Kevin and, and John, just kind of what's next, what's the direction um, and what can we do better? Yeah. Um, well, I think to answer your question, are we doing enough? It, it seems like there's a lot, uh, there's a, absolutely a, a ton, you know, going on. Um, if I just look at the, you know, sort of the number of, mm-hmm. of, of startups, you know, for example, and the money going into, into some of the problem space, it feels like, it feels like, um, you know, there's a lot there. I think, you know, to your point of, you know, how do we, how do we, um, bring some of those things more to, to mainstream, maybe faster. Mm-hmm. I think, I think part of, you know, this idea of confidence, maybe, maybe there's a little bit more we need to do in the area of confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, because this idea that you have of, 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 uh, taking an action, you know, taking that next step of, all right, let's, let's, let's move it, you know, more, um, you know, from the benefits of automation into more of the, the benefits of like, let's say self-healing or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, automatic, uh, autonomously doing things i think all has to do with confidence um and back to that thing it's, it's like okay am i by doing this is am i creating a bigger problem or a bigger issue okay. than by not doing it you know um and how do you how, i think there probably is more that could go into that um to to give us better uh visibility and, and ultimately confidence that actually taking that action is the right it is the right thing all right mm-hmm. like you know we know that the, taking that action does have some risk but but a system that could tell us that it's a good risk, right? That, uh, you know, that it's, it's, it's the right risk to take for the organization based on knowing what the out- outcomes of it, of it could be um, or, or predicting the outcomes of it, uh, the likely outcome. So I think that's an area where it's like building confidence so that we can actually make this next big progression is a pretty, pretty important thing uh, that maybe, maybe, maybe there's you know, things out there we could, we could do more there. Um, uh, I'll, I'll just one, one thing back on, the, you know, talking to the boards and executives, mm-hmm. um, never under, never underestimate the, um, the value of a, of a data scientist that you would like to go have a beer with. 
Um, you know, or that, that person, that personality of somebody that can, you know, just sit down and say, you know, let me kind of, let me kind of talk you through it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I think we need to do something, maybe, maybe that's our cyber's next thing. Like how, how do we create, uh, you know, more data scientists that are interested, you know, that, that are great conversationalists, right. Great educators, um, for people who aren't data scientists. Uh, that's, if you have somebody like that in your organization, you should put a bubble around them, wrap them, mm-hmm. you know, in, 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 in a, a bubble wrap and them. <laughs> embrace them yeah. as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. Cause you remind, you remind me absolutely that the CFO during that pen test was the data scientist. He was the person that kind of really you know, bridged that gap. And he's a financial background, so he knows all about tangible and about data, about you know, budget and so forth. And that was a big impact. So, um, John, just kind of th- any thoughts around that as well and any any final kind of words or kind of, you know, for the audience, what, you know, are we, are we moving in the right direction? What can we do to, to get better? Yeah, I, th- I think we're absolutely moving in the right direction. Uh, are we moving in that direction as fast as we need? Um, may, may, maybe not, but I'm, I'm very optimistic. You know the, the 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 people who who defend our way of life. You know, take it seriously, and you know, it's, to many of them, it's personal. And I and I'm thankful for them and and the work that they do. I do I do want to see the impact of sort of data sciences, if you will, on cyber increase. And I think mm-hmm. one important aspect of that is we have to get to a position where we can sort of learn globally and infer locally. So being able to take lots of data feeds from lots of different places, build models on those, run inference algorithms and learning on them, and then push that, push those learnings out to sort of out to the endpoints so that we can collectively defend and learn from one another. And that, that was always been sort of the promise of threat intelligence. But I think, I think data sciences and really kind of this edge computing model that's emerging Will really will really help us. The other thing I would like to leave the audience with is um, having built a lot of systems um, and machine learning. I, I, there are a couple things to think about that that I've learned that I would like to share and hopefully help progress your your efforts. And the first thing is you're you're going to need a team of multidisciplinary people. You're going to need the security subject matter expert. You need a data scientist, the super quant, someone who understands you know, the math behind the means. You need a developer, someone to codify it and to get it to scale. And you need a data architect and a systems architect where you need to get the systems to scale, not just the solution to scale. And so any effort that I look at, I always have a multidisciplinary team that includes at least one or multiple of those kinds of skill sets. And then we prioritize. We prioritize in this order. First of all, iteration in speed is really critical. There's no free lunch. You're going to have to mm-hmm. continuously to evolve the models and the algorithms and the learning approaches and the data and the features and everything that goes in. So be able to iterate quickly. Make sure you have a system that you can iterate on. If you have to, if your iteration cycles depend upon a code release cycle that you know, even in a two-week sprint, you're not going to get there. It has to be rapid. The second thing I would say is scope the problem. That's the single most important thing when it comes to being mm-hmm. able to get get high efficacy and in scoping the problem you want to make it as small as possible and have a have a clear determination of what right looks like the third thing would be rich data and simple algorithms if if you have um if 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 you have to modify an algorithm because you don't have visibility mm-hmm. into something you're missing a piece of data 
go get the data. And that's why, just as an aside, you see the endpoint detection and response space exploding because all of these analytics used to be based on network data, but we didn't actually see what was occurring on the endpoint. Get the data and simplify your algorithms. Rich data, simple, simple algorithms wins the day every day. And then feature selection is critically important. Um, feature selection is the set, the pieces of data that you use to to in the model that help drive the outcome of the model. The feature selection is a hard part. To me, that's still very much the art of it. And that's where the subject matter expert needs to come in and provide the domain mm -hmm. context. And then the, the inference algorithm itself, which everybody thinks is like the most important thing. Like, is it naive Bayes or is it <laughs> mini max or is it expect the max or is it QLearn? Like all of that, honestly, like that's the easy part that it's it's hard it's the easier part of everything so that just just sort of a a playbook if you will on how mm -hmm. to how to go out using machine learning data sciences with a cyber problem absolutely you know, i think you're spot on with all of those uh, for me you know i, I you, you hit on a point that kind of brought home to me as well as you know make sure you you focus on the problem uh, sometimes the solution becomes the focus uh, and that sometimes puts you down the wrong path because then you forget what you actually were originally trying to solve. Um, so that's a major area. Um, data veracity is key. Um, having the, the veracity of the data is so important. You know, I will say that um, knowing the right questions to ask and having the, the data can help you answer those questions is one of the most important. It's the recipe to success, especially in this area. If you know what you want, the questions to ask, and you have the data that can give you those answers, then that's the key recipe and the foundation uh, to help you get there. It's been fantastic. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. And I think this has been really educational for the audience. I think um, I think this is an area which is growing, an area if anyone's listening that you're interested in, in cybersecurity or you're interested in even getting into um, if you're a data science background or even in cybersecurity, you want to learn more about uh, data science. Definitely, this is a show that hopefully you got a lot of value from it. So Kevin, John, it's been amazing having you on the show. Um, look forward yeah, to having more discussions with you. And uh, for the audience, uh, this episode, uh, 401 Access Tonight, is all about data science. Uh, tune in every two weeks uh, for the next episode. Subscribe to make sure that you continually get updated. And uh, John, Kevin, it's been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Yep, thank you. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrae for Business by going to www.cybrae.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Phycotic, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit www.phycotic.com.